In this Marsha, the you have the famous pasuk, Love your fellow Jew as yourself. So there's an I find it to be a very interesting story. It's found in Ma'am Loes. I'm gonna read it, I'll translate it. And it's one of those things that you could see like a, a little bit of a Hollywood moment. It's, I think it's very sweet. Maya said there's a story. There were these two guys who were really good friends. And and they were really, really close. However, the situation was that the two places they lived, it's like the Ukraine and Russia. Imagine one, one friend is in Ukraine on the border, and one's on the side of Russia. And the problem was that they couldn't see each other. And they, were, they weren't captured, but they were stuck in their place. Both were in different places that they could not see each other. You know... After a long period of time, they wanted to see each other. So, so one guy sneaked over the border and got into the into his friend's neighborhood. And he got caught. And he just, they want to kill him. Because everybody knows that if you get caught by the enemy, they kill you. That's what happened to an Israeli um, volunteer last week. It was December, but the media just um, um, informed everybody of it, that there was an Israeli Israeli Jewish soldier that volunteered for the Ukrainian army. The Russians caught him in December, and they executed him, you know? So this guy, who gets caught with his buddy, and they want to kill him. So he then goes in front of the king. And he it says he's not Melech. He goes and he he falls to the legs of the king. And he starts crying. And he asks the king, I just want one, like just do me one favor. Just one favor and I'll be okay. Anybody know this story? So the king said, you know, like, what's your last wish? In many societies and in many cultures, this idea of giving the prisoner who's about to be executed a last wish, a last meal, a cigarette, whatever, a last call. You know, if you remember, we learned about it with Reish Lakish, that when Reish Lakish was with the cannibals and the cannibals wanted to eat him, they, they had a rule that you... You always give the prisoner before you eat him, you give him a last wish. And the Mephorshim say, if you remember, that the reason that the cannibals would go and give their prey a last wish was because the blood was sweeter if the, can, if the person who they were going to eat was not in as bad a mood. Do you remember that? <laughs> you don't remember that? Maybe you're on a hot call at that moment. Reish Lakish was captured by the cannibals. Um, and he had a plan that he was going to kill the cannibals because you can't have cannibals in Israel. 
So I don't know if he, he, bottom line is he got caught with them. They wanted to kill him. So he said he has one wish. So what is his wish? He wants to say, take a sack that he had, and he wants to hit every one of the cannibals in the head. So, you know, who would do that? Well, if you're a cannibal, (laughs) you can't think straight. Remember, crazy is crazy. You know, a lot of times we make this mistake. America makes this mistake all the time in foreign policy. So we always think, sure, if you pay off somebody from ISIS, they're not going to follow what they believe because money means more. That's only because Americans believe that money is the bottom line of everything. But American foreign policy has always had this problem that we would, you know, try to buy off our enemies with money, but it doesn't always work if people are crazy. So, so in that story, the cannibal said, sure, no problem. So he has in his sack, he has rocks, and he hits the cannibals in the head, and then he, event, and he kills them, basically, and it gets loose. That's the story of Rich Lakish of the cannibals. So the king was interested, he said, yeah, I need so okay. So he says, sure, let, let me hear. Let me hear what you want. So the guy says, I I got a big business. You know, and I gave a lot of money over on business deals, a lot of cash investments. I have no written documentation of all the money that I gave out. And now that I'm going to be killed, which I understand because I was captured, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen? My kids aren't going to have anything to eat because there's no documentation that Bob owes me money, right? There's nothing there. So he says, so, if I'm asking, this is what he's asking the king, let me go home, you know, I'll go home. I'll go and I'll take care of my business. I'll make sure that all the people that I gave money to will sign documents that they owe me the money. Okay, and then Voshuv. And then I'll be able, I'll come back, you know. And therefore, and therefore my kids won't die in starvation. Okay? So that so so Amalo Amelach, so the king says to this guy, Kulum Amin Lachad, well you think I believe you that you're gonna you're gonna come back? Are you crazy? You think I'm crazy that I think that you're gonna come back to the you know imagine telling a Nazi, you know, I gotta go out of Auschwitz or Dachau, you know, because I have to take care of some stock business. And when I'm done with the stock business and I finished me taking taking care of some trades. I'll come right back into the concentration camp. Are you kidding me? Nobody's ever going to do that. Nobody. Amalo Ish. So the guy says, okay, listen. You got this story over here? There's these two buddies. Okay, this is the man Loe's on just a story. Last week we did the eagle with the whole carcass. So this is a different story. So there's these two buddies. And they live in two adjacent towns like Ukraine and Russia on the border. And one guy sneaks over to the other and he's caught and they want to kill him. So he says to the king, let me at least go home and take care of my business and I'll come back to get killed. 
So the king says, you're out of your freaking head. I'm not going to let you go because you're not coming back. So he says like this. Amalois, the guy says, Adonia Melech, but, you know, king, Kanbir Yeshli Yadid Yaakam Ma'od. You know, I got, a, I got a really good friend in this neighborhood. And Vuhu Bivada Yaravli, he'll be collateral for me. <laughs> he'll for sure be my collateral. Amoha Melech Yadidom. So the uh, the king says to his to this to the buddy, um, and he says, But are you willing to be like collateral for this guy? That if you if he doesn't come back, I'm we're gonna kill you. You're gonna be in jail. You're gonna be sitting there. And when this guy goes off pretty right with whatever he's doing. We're going to take you and we're going to use a guillotine and chop your head off. Is that what you're ready to do? I'm alone. He says, yeah, no problem. I'm there in his place. And he says, and if not, I will die right here. I will die for my friend. So therefore the king does this. He puts the guy in and the king says, he says, I want to see what's going to happen over here. Because like to see, is this really going to happen? So the story goes on that the time came, the day came, and he's not there. Okay? And of course, the king understands. Of course he's not there. What kind of crazy person is going to show up for his for to is going to show up to be executed when he's got his friend sitting in the in in, in the guillotine, yeah. So therefore, he, the king goes and he gives the command that his friend should be that the guy should be taken out of the jail and placed in the guillotine to be killed. All of a sudden, nishma kol ear There's a sound that everybody hears. Things are going on. Shabbat also Adam, that the guy came, that he's back. He's back. And he comes to the end, uh, and he comes in front of the king. Now the king has the sword out. They're, out, they're ready to execute the guy because it's already past the time. And he takes, according to the story, he takes the, the sword and puts it on his own neck and says, No, I'm going to die right now. I was supposed to die, not my friend. The king then says, No. He's supposed to die because you were late. The deal was that you were supposed to be here by 10 a.m., let's say. It's after 10 a.m. He's the dead man. You're not the dead man. You're just late, but he's the dead man. And he said, and they start fighting. They're both fighting who should be killed. That's what they're doing. At that point, the king can't get over this. Um, he says, he says, um, he says, the king says, Since there's so much love between you two guys, Rotsani, I want to be the third friend. I want to be that third friend. And that's what it means in Pirkeobos when it says, You should acquire a friend. That's what it means, a friend, a friend that's willing to die for his friend. And that's why it says in the Pasuk, the Reach Kamocha Kiani Hashem. 
that it says, I am God, that if we have Avas Yisrael, of Yehavta Lurecha Kamocha to such a level, then Hashem rests upon us and says, Ani Hashem. You need that component. It's a big problem because we don't realize, but that's the, the real, the real point of get, having spirituality has to start and be Avas Yisrael. That's, it's, it's beyond key. It's beyond key. I want to tell you a story. I wasn't going to do it now, but we're going to just go through it like this. In this week's Parsha, not only do you have the, 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 the Pasuk of Yehavta Lurecha Kamocha, that you should love your fellow Jew as yourself, but you also have the Pasuk of Al-Tamur Adam Recha, which means that you're not allowed to stand by while, you, while you're watching your brother's blood you know, being killed, which means from a legal point of view that if you saw a Jew drowning, you have to either go and jump in or get somebody to jump in to save him. It means if you see somebody doing a bad business deal, you can't say, well, I don't speak Russian heart, just because the guy who he's doing business just made a Ponzi scheme. You know, who is? Who am I to say anything? Would I say anything about some another Jew just because he just got out of federal penitentiary because of, you know, he's like a money launderer or whatever? I wouldn't say anything. On that we don't talk. It says, you're not allowed to sit idly. And it also says, which means you have to give rebuke to your fellow Jew if you see them doing something wrong, which means kiruv. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell because you had a you had a had a Dunkin' Donut, which is hal of stam. Even though I put I put my ashkacha on it, but anyway, um, that's just an inside personal joke, which is whatever. For those that know what I'm talking about, we'll just let it ride. So. But this Parsha talks about Abbas Yisrael and the idea of Kirov. So I had a friend. This is an amazing, amazing story and insight on this. I had a friend. His name was Avram Scheinberger. He's not alive anymore. Avram Scheinberger was a, a seventh-generation Yerushalmi that had absolutely, when it came to business, he had no mazel at all. This guy, did you know who he was? He lived in the old city of Yerushalayim. He had no mazel. What does it mean to have no mazel? You rent out a concert hall in New York for like these Miami boys choir stuff or whatever. And the day of the big event that you spent all this money in advertising, there's a blizzard. You know, it's true. He decided that he was going to, <laughs> he was going to buy a hotel. So he bought a hotel in an area called Metula. You know what Metula is? Metula is the tip of Lebanon. It used to be quiet. But at that time, going back about 25 years, 30 years ago, all of a sudden the missiles started coming down on Metula. You know, nobody's going over there. Guy never he touched. It went south. So he was by the hotel. And, but he was a regular Yushalmi, you know. Strymol can't speak English. And he sees all these Jews by the cult that don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know anything. He decided he's going to invite them for Shabbos. His family thought that he was absolutely out of his mind. They thought he was out of his mind. This was, there, there was no, 
Mordechai Machlis at the time. He was before Mordechai. That's a guy, that's a person who opens his house. And he would go to Machne Yehuda. He'd buy sacks of potatoes. He would buy chicken and carry it. And he would make, he did all the cooking. Without exaggeration, one of those little Jerusalem, like little apartments in the old city, he'd have 40, 50 guests. And he would sing, Hevenu Shalom Aleichem, and whatever. He didn't know, and he couldn't speak, but he, the love was coming through him. He goes to the he comes to New York, and, 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 he, and he became a travel agent. And he started selling tickets to all these travelers back and forth. They'd go back and forth, and he finally made a living. But he spent all the money on all the food and everything. It was an amazing sight to see. The neighbors were furious at him because he would have music. He would be singing on Shabbos. They were furious. He didn't care. Big tzaddik. He goes to Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, I want you to hear this. Because this is extremely, extremely insightful, I believe. So he goes into Yechidus. That's what it is called when you go into the Rebbe privately. And the Rebbe asks him what he does. So he says that he's involved in Kirov Rechokah. So the Rebbe looks at him and says, you can't call it Kirov Rechokah. Because Kirov Rechokah, which means bringing close those who are far, implies that you know who's close and you know who's far. And nobody knows who's close and nobody knows who's far. So somebody's going to say, but they don't keep Shabbos, and you keep Shabbos. That, of course, is true. But if the individual doesn't know what Shabbos is, we all know stories. The Gemara talks about the idea of Yeshmi Shekhan Olamo B'Sha'achas, that you can have a person in one second can acquire his entire Olam Haba, that it takes a tzaddik 80 years to acquire. There's such ideas. We don't, we don't, we don't know God's game. We don't understand the game. But it's a little bit, in, what's the word, impetuous? What is the word? Like it's a little, uh, you know, you, you're acting a little bit like you know God's rule of thumb when you say you're bringing the distant close. You want to say you're helping people observe God's Torah, that's fine. But distant to close, that means you know you're close. That's also a problem, right? That, that's, that comes up with the issue of being haughty. So he asked the rabbi, so how do I define what I do? People like, you know, we like to define ourselves, right? You're a therapist. Doesn't everybody want to define themselves? So the Rebbe said, you tell people that you're involved in Avas Yisrael. That's what you do. You're involved in Avas Yisrael. Which, you know, that, that's the, at the end of the day, that's, that's everything. That's like the core to everything. So I want to read inside before we go into other stories about that. Let's do a little bit of Kedusha Slavia. I made, because uh, I was having a little problem with my photocopier. Uh, the Kedusha Slavia was Levius with the Vardichov. He's the famous one who loved Jews so much. We'll do it inside. You guys know the stories? You know who he was, right? The Kedusha Slavia. His, his son-in-law was the... His son-in-law was the son of the Balatanya, or his daughter married the Balatanya's son. I'm not sure which way it went, but he was a Mechutan of the Balatanya. He lived at the same time as Reb Nachman of Breslov. 
He's the one that when he saw a Jewish person smoking a cigarette on Shabbos, he said to the person, you know, what are you doing? The guy says, I'm smoking on Shabbos. He said, maybe the doctor told you you have to smoke. He said, no, I want to break Shabbos. So then he looked at the Yaron Kodesh. He said, see, Rebbe Shalom, your kids never lie. They never lie. He always found positive to say about Jewish people. So if anybody wants, we have five copies if you're interested in looking in. If not, not whatever you guys want, I'll read it inside. It's very interesting. It's Parshish Noach, where he talks about, this is from Parshish Noach. Okay? And I'll just start reading it quickly because we've got a lot of other things to cover. He says like this, Noach, and this is the generations of Noah. He says, Nira, you got to know, there are two types of tzaddikim on the earth. There's two different types of tzaddikim. Tzaddik there's one kind of tzaddik. That he is on fire. He's on fire. He worships God on fire. He's really into it. That he's by himself. He's in his corner. He might even be the guy that looks at everybody and says, like, be quiet, you know, doesn't want anybody talking. He's by himself. He's on fire, but he's by himself. He's not to the extent that somebody once asked the question to the Chazanish. I can't believe that people ask such ridiculous questions sometimes. But he asked, this guy asked the Chazanish if maybe he should run away to a mountain so he's not disturbed by people when he, you know, in his, uh, his religious service. You know, he's going to run away to a mountaintop. So... Mucho pico, right? So he, uh, the, the Chazanish said to him that he cannot believe, he, the Chazanish, cannot believe that the master of the universe wants a Jewish person to leave society to worship him without the help of friends and community. He can't believe that that is the, the proper way. But people ask crazy questions. I was my Rebbe was Rapan. You want to hear crazy? You want to hear how like how crazy can you go, right? You want to know how ridiculous can you go and still be considered sane? I mean, there's a certain part, you know, like you just like you're just not sane anymore, and nobody takes you seriously. But barring that, how, well, you, again, you're a therapist, so you see people, but they're over the line. I'm not talking about over the line. We're talking about bordering the line, but crazy. So uh, Rav Palm was in his, at the time, he, he was probably in his low 80s or upper 70s. And I would I drove him to a wedding. Okay, there was him. He was in the front seat. And the rabbit's in. Or maybe, no, no. He was sitting next to his wife in the back seat. And some guy wanted a ride to, uh, to the wedding from the yeshiva. So I said, I asked Rapam if he minds, you know, you know. He said, no problem. Go ahead. Gets in the car. We're driving. I believe that the, it was like we had to drive like about a half hour or whatever. And the guy says, I'd like to ask a question of the Rosh Hashiva. Go ahead. So Rapam says, go ahead, please. 
So the question was, he said, is it allowed to move from Borough Park to Flatbush since Flatbush is not a Makkum Torah? <laughs> okay, <laughs> the guy says. So at that point, the Rebbitson, who is very feisty, she was a feisty lady, she says, um, there are many fine yeshivas in Flatbush. She didn't say Taravadas, which is where Palm was. I remember her saying clearly, she said, there are many fine yeshivas, such as Mir and Chaim Berlin. She didn't even, I remember this clearly. She didn't even say her husband's yeshiva, but she said that there, you know, there are many fine yeshivas. At that point, the guy steps over the line. I mean, he was over the line anyway, but really steps over. And so I asked the Rosh Yeshiva. Oh. <laughs> so Rav Palm said, the Rebbitson can answer. You know, it was, I just remember like, but how stupid. Where is the line of insanity? You know what I mean? Like where, the, the world is crazy. It's crazy. So anyway, so... So he says like this, so we have one kind of tzaddik who worships God by himself. Okay? Okay. tzaddik echad, but you got another type of tzaddik. Sha'ovid habari umakser harishoyim, and he brings the evil, lios gamkemi ovde habari. He brings the evil people to also worship God. Now he uses the word rishoyim. We don't have in this world today, I mean, there are some evil people. We know that. There are some people who are evil. But your overwhelming number of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, but let's talk about Jews, they're not evil. They're ignorant. They're being raised with woke or some other nonsensical ideas. But they're not evil to the point that you can include people in a minion. I, I want you just to be aware. Rabbi Moshe said that you're allowed to include non-religious people in the minion. Okay? And you can give a non-religious Jewish person a bracha under the chuppah, assuming, he says, you have to just know that they believe in God. And that's because if they don't believe in, not because they're conservative, but because if you don't believe in God and you're making a bracha, Bracha to Hashem, blessed be you, God. And you don't believe in God, so then what is your bracha worth? But he said you could have, because they're not considered evil people. They're called a tinak shenishba. It's not their fault. They don't know. He, is, he had an exception. You know, anybody know what the exception was? The exception was conservative or reformed rabbis. He felt that they were bringing people down. You know. That they knew better, you know. That's could what he it said. be that the from Rabbis Rochel? He he didn't feel so. He felt that they. They he you know first of all I don't know. I'm I'm being careful because I don't want to say that I don't know about today. It could be that maybe the world changed, but you have to remember that the conservative movement. Going back when if in America, I mean, conservative is an American thing. Reform was European, was German, but conservative is American. They they had a best then. They had they had people. Was a reaction to reform in uh, I think in a way, I think the conservative was a compromising situation because 
people, they wanted people to come to Shul. Because without a Shul, this is going to sound nasty, but it's true. Without a Shul, the rabbi doesn't have much of a job. And um, America was, was uh, a new phenomenon of living in the suburbs. You know, it was no longer where you could just walk to the shore. You lived in Sayas at Long Island, and your neighbor was a half a mile away. So what do you do? So orthodoxy would say, so you're down by yourself. So you don't have a minion. Okay, I go to New Hampshire in the summer. I know this is on public radio right now. Yeah, okay. Well, if you're listening, uh, no, I don't care. Um, maybe I do care. Um, I go to New Hampshire, and sometimes there's no minion, you know? Okay, life goes on. Now, it would be a little difficult. When I say life goes on, what I mean is that there are halachic rules about how far you have to go in order to get a minion. If you're in a place which is an, an hour away by car, you don't have to go to get the minion. It might be considered uh, a positive thing. Not at night, if you're driving on mountainous, dark, dangerous highways, that's not a good thing to do, and you should not go for the minion. But the point being, um, sometimes you find yourself in these places, you know, but when you move there and you stay there, and that's where your life is going to be, it's going to be very hard to be a spiritual, kosher, religious Jew in the middle of the northern woods of New Hampshire where there is nothing there except for, you know, wolves. It's, 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 uh, it's a hard thing. So the, reform, the conservative movement decided that we're going to allow people to drive. That was their first major compromise. We'll allow them to drive. But what happens to that is, and then everything falls apart. But that was... And, and during the 1970s, everybody felt, and probably the 60s too, but the 70s, because I'm, I'm 64, so I remember the 70s pretty well. Um, everybody thought that orthodoxy was dead. It was dead. It was finished, dead in the water. And that Reform Judaism was also dead. And that it was going, everything was going to be conservative. They had all the numbers. They had tremendous numbers and an infrastructure of, of temples all over, synagogues all over. They had they had after schools. They had they even had some yeshivas like Solomon Schachter's conservative. They had a few. It looked like they were going to be the future, but they weren't because it wasn't authentic Judaism. So it's just not real and fell apart. But the, many of the rabbis knew. I can't say they all knew, but many of them. They, you know, they they went to they they did learn enough, enough. That Ramosha felt that they uh, were not in a good position. I don't want to judge anybody, but you know, that was the history. That was the, the history. Things. See, we sit now in the world. We don't. We don't always know, because we are sitting and we don't know the history that leads up to things. I heard something yesterday from a cop, our cop, Kenny, Kenny. So I was by the police station. Just this has nothing to do with Torah, but it just shows how things, you're sitting and you have no clue about anything. New York was, was and still is probably considered the best police force in the United States and maybe in the world. 
as a city and a place for us. How did that happen? It's a very liberal city. How did that happen? So he explained to me in 1929, the stock market crashes. There's no jobs on Wall Street. There's no jobs in finance. There's no jobs available in most sectors. And New York is loaded with people who are professionals in all those areas of you know, finance, leadership, economic leadership, and everything. And all of a sudden, what do they do? The police department. So the police department absorbed all those people, not all, you know, the people who were highly educated and qualified, and they were able to make the infrastructure. You know, and then after World War II, New York had all these people coming back. Same idea, educated Americans versus, you know, your Indiana type of, uh, or, or Idaho type of Americans who are wonderful people, but might not have had as much education. Anyway, so, the, so going back over here, he says there's two types. The second type of Jew, the tzaddik, is the tzaddik that's out there to be Makar of even Rishayim. That was Avram Avinu. And that's why, according to the Zohar, it says that Moshe, that Noah comes back in a Gilgal of, of Moshe. Because what does Moshe do all day? Moshe is involved in being Makar of the Jews, bringing the Jews close to God, bringing Torah to the Jews, spending his whole day only dealing with Jews, right? The exact opposite of Noah. That was his tikkun. That was the tikkun. You want to say something? That was the tikkun. So, with that, that's but that's what he says. You know, the truth is, there's so much to say on this topic. I'm just going to say one thought, and maybe we'll continue. I mean, to me, Kirov has been my life, so I would. It would be. It's really hard pressed for me not to say all these stories, but. I will tell you over what I told what Rav Palm told us, because I think it's very central to life and specifically to Kirov and the world we live in. One day, and especially since last week, unfortunately, I lost my temper on some people. I don't know what happened. I got a little bit, whatever, got a little bit, a little bit. So I think I thought I was right, but it doesn't matter. You still can't lose your cool. Um, it was right before Shavuos, and Rav Palm got up in the base Medrash. I said this over many times, but a review is always worthwhile. He got up, and also because nobody, there are very few people in the world that know the story. Maybe, I mean, Queens, I don't think there's anybody else that knows it. So he, he got up, and he, he asked the question, rhetorically, what were the tools that Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, what tools did she use to bring Rus close, to be Makar Rus? Or rather, let's say he didn't say the word tools. What was the methodology? How did Naomi bring Rus close to meet us, to, to close to Judaism? So Rapam then said that we know that a person's name uh, identifies or signifies their personality and who their essence is. The Gemara Megillah talks about that, that you have different names. It goes through different tzaddikim, and it says that this person's name was 
was one name, and, and therefore that was her personality. It's such an idea. And that's why when you are naming a baby, there's an element of prophecy. And that's why when you're naming a baby, it's the, child, it's the parents who are the ones who are supposed to name. And even if the parents, the grandparents, say that they want a name, they could ask, they could, they could, they could, whatever, but it's not up to them. Our, uh, Rabbi Pesach Kron has a whole tape about how people make him make kids crazy about name, naming the grandchildren, that they want to have input naming the grandchildren. He once told, me, told over a story that there was one grandfather that just would not let it go. He would just not let it go. You know the story? He would just not let it go. And Pesach Kron said to the guy, listen, you had your chance already. You named your children. So let them all, leave them be already. And the guy says to Pesach Kron, I would, but the baby came to me in a dream and told me that he wants me to name the baby this and this name. <laughs> because what are you going to do when they, people get craziness in their head? It just doesn't stop. So I saw this. I'm going to tell you, I saw with my own eyes. If you want to joke around, when you see Avi on Shabbos or you see him, you could just ask him about the story. There was a couple. She happened to be a gay oris, a sweet girl. Unfortunately, she had issues. Okay. A lot of people have issues. I have, we all have issues. She had issues. She married a Hasidic guy who was a child of a Rebbe who also had a lot of issues. And it was, I don't know, they got married and they got divorced. And she had twins. And the bris was on Purim. Okay? And it was in my house. It was in my house. There was no other place to do it. It's in my house. Twins. And it sounds crazy, but it really happened. And Pesach Kron was the male. Okay? They were not getting along too well because they had just gotten divorced. They were not getting along. But okay, they're in the house, they're both there. Twins means you have to have multiple names. Now they decided that they're going to name each child three names. Okay? That's what they decided to do. You got three names. <laughs> Six names. Everything. Okay. I'm just making this up right now for the purpose of understanding because I do not remember the names. Let's just go with um, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Ruven, Shimon, and Levi. Okay? That's, those were the names, okay? Of the two kids. They're about ready. He gets up there to name the child. He says, you know, and she says, I don't want those names. No. I want this name. And she named the name. They changed the name. At the spot, they changed at the moment of the cutting. They literally changed the names to everything that they thought. It was going to be Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Now it was Rafal, Gavriel, and um, uh, Uziel. I don't know, whatever it was. Total, total change of everything. You don't know. Because that's due to personality. So it has to do with the neshamas, and this is really... So I would think that she was crazy, or he was crazy, but it doesn't matter. That's, those are the names that God really wanted the children to be. 
just that I saw that with my own eyes. Now, Rapam goes on and he says that the name Naomi, which is the mother-in-law, comes from the name Noam, which means pleasant. So he said, the Gemara Megillah says that Naomi had pleasant, she was a very pleasant person with good midos. And he said that the way that he, that she brought Rus into Judaism was by her midos tovos, her good traits, her good midos, that people saw how she acted. That was what brought her close. And then he said, famous line, which is on his gravesite, but he made a little twist to it. He said, it says in the verse, the Pasuk, the way of the Torah is, is pleasant. That's what it says. And then he said, in his own way, he said, and if it's not Noam, if it's not pleasant, he said, it's not the Rochecha. Then it's not the way of the Torah. That's what he said. Okay. At that time, I was teaching in Eishat Torah. And in Eishat, in those days, they were very into proving God's existence, proving the historical veracity of the Torah. It wasn't based on Midos. Not that they were anti-Midos. They weren't anti. Nobody gets up in front of the yeshiva and says, now just remember, when there's a Baal who's potential, spit at him. And, you know, and if you see somebody who's not religious, just tell the, the mother that, you know, if you keep this up, you're going straight to hell. And I'm not going to let your grandchild eat in your house. Just, if you don't put on a shaito, the grandchildren are not coming to your house. I mean, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work, you know. It shouldn't work because it's disgusting and not true. Anyway, um, so I went over to a palm and I said, and he knew that I was in Asia at the time. I said, so what about all the hashkafa, all the philosophers? And he said to me, Yehuda, it's all important, but it's the midos. It's the, it's the midos that bring people, and people see it, and they want to be part of it. That's what they can see that there's something, something, especially now in the world where you know, having being a refined individual is something almost out of uh, crazy. It's not there. Anyway, we'll continue next week. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Ask my son.